Hello and welcome to the Mastermind Body and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. As you know, we are facing extreme censorship alongside many other truth seekers out there. If you want to support this show, go over to mattbelair.com and sign up for the email list. Become a member for exclusive and censorship-free content by donation or even for free. And most importantly, consider doing three kind acts wherever you are in the world today. Also, because I don't exist on Facebook or Instagram, if you want to share too uh, there, that's helpful as well. Today's guest is a best-selling author, dynamic speaker, and leadership guru. He brings decades of global expertise to readers, audiences, and corporations through his visionary and innovative practices. Founder and CEO of Combia Corporation, he has served for more than 15 years developing and marketing tools that blend human intelligence and automation. Welcome to the show, Arthur Coombs. Thank you for having me. How are you doing today? You know, I'm excited to have you on. I went through your bio and your work experience, and I always feel privileged when I see somebody who's been in an industry for literally decades, you know, that real world experience. You're able to develop a level of mastery. You're able to kind of see through some of the trends that were useful, but then they kind of die off. And, um, you know, you, you, earn, you earn your stripes, so to speak. So um, I really shortened the bio. You've done a lot of amazing things. I don't know if I pronounced your company right, but uh, um, I'd yeah. love for you to just introduce right. yourself and, and your background and how you got into um, all the amazing things you do. Well, I, uh, I was uh, born in Silicon Valley. I think that influenced me a great deal, even though uh, back in the 70s, um, I was just a kid growing up in Northern California, but you're, you're constantly bombarded and influenced by all that's going on, on around you. And uh, I remember um, watching Apple, uh, you know, uh, uh, Wozniak and Steve Jobs went to a rival high school of mine. Uh, I remember watching founders of Oracle and these were just things that happened all the time, you know, just all the time. Um, and yet I think you're influenced by those. So I was raised in Silicon Valley and sort of the entrepreneurial bug just sort of got into me. Uh, also, I think my father, I watched my father start different companies and, um, yeah, I just th sort of, I think you sort of get in that mindset and that mode of you're just watching other people do and accomplish certain things and that just becomes second nature. And I think that's just sort of what it, what it did for me. So I was raised there. I moved to Europe. I lived in Europe for about uh, eight years, uh, starting different things over there. I lived in Holland and then a little company here in the United States said, why don't you come home? And my, my wife was ready to uh, celebrate Thanksgivings again. And uh, so we moved back to the United States and I ended up here in Utah. And I thought Utah would be sort of a temporary four-year gig. And then I would move somewhere else. And uh, I fell in love. And there's not enough dynamite in the state to blow me out now. So I'm here to stay. I absolutely love it here. Uh, that's, that's amazing. Well, you know, I, I didn't mention you, you wrote, I don't know when you released the book, but I love the title, the hard, easy or hard, easy, a, a get real guide for getting uh, the life you want. And a lot of people reach out and they want to come on the podcast. And um, a lot of the people will talk about manifestation and things like that, which I absolutely agree with. I just think that it's this, this tendency not to be real with it. You know, 
as a martial artist, I understand that there's hard Qigong where you punch the tree with your bare fist and it hurts a lot and it's hard. Um, right. And then there's right. the soft side as well of the, of the believing in yourselves, of the connecting with spirit, of uh, knowing your passions and things like that. And so um, that's what really inspired me to get you on the show. And there's a lot of uh, great chapters that are, that are in there. So I'd love for you to kind of, and you've worked in leadership and corporations and all these different things. So I don't know where you want to start, but one of the things in particular that has me curious is um, lessons in physics and natural laws, which I love and the top excuses. And so I feel like it's uh, very well rounded. And then you also have a, a chapter in there about uh, silencing the toxic whisper, whispers of shame. And mm-hmm. it's so fascinating in all the guests that I've had and the work that I've done with people where it's such one of those like core things that people aren't even aware of and they limit from doing the thing that they want, right? There's some sort of reason that's going in their mind. And uh, Greg Braden says, we have three universal fears. I think it's uh, not being accepted, not being loved and not being worthy, something like that. Um, Mm -hmm. Check it out. It's pretty obvious, but it's, it's a very common thing. And so if we could overcome that, we really have, uh, you know, a huge opportunity to grow as individuals. But if we don't, we actually limit ourselves. So I'm yammering too much. Please chime in and let me know. No, 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 no. I I totally, I totally agree. I I wrote the book. So I, I, and how I sort of got onto the, the, the book hard easy is I wrote my first book on you uh, don't just manage lead. And there's a big difference between managing people and leading people. And one of the key characteristics of leading people is managing yourself. If you manage yourself, then you're in a position to lead others. But if you aren't managing yourself and you're asking other people to do things that you yourself aren't doing, you're not walking the talk. So anyway, so I, that sort of grew into Hard Easy in another book I call Human Connection. But Hard Easy is really this philosophy. And I, I, I believe for me, it's as real as gravity. You may not agree with gravity, you may not understand gravity, but gravity will happen. You step off the cliff at Canyonlands, gravity will take and and make itself known. So here's the law. I believe that you can live one of two ways in this life. You can live hard, easy, or easy, hard. It's your choice, it's your life. And let me just give you a couple of real world examples that I give my kids all the time. My kids come home from school, they want to play video games. They want to watch TikTok. They want to watch, you know, uh, YouTube. They want to do all these other things that are really easy to do. I get it. I used to procrastinate school all the time. I'm the master of procrastination. I understand it. But what I've learned and what I now know more than anything else is if you choose easy, the consequence is often very, very hard. And I say to my kids, you can, you can, you know, you know, procrastinate your homework. You don't have to do it. You go ahead, play games all day. But when test time comes, or when you go to apply for college, if that's what you want to do, you will live hard. Because choosing easy up front over time limits opportunity and limits agency. Choosing hard up front expands your agency. Let me give you another example. My daughter, she's uh, now 31. She gets credit cards all the time. And I tell her, I say, honey, you can get these credit cards. They'll send you these credit cards free all the time. And you've got $1,000 here and $2,000 there on that card. You can run those cards up. 
that's easy to do. And I know it's attractive. You want to get clothes. You want to get all these nice things that people say are so important. But you will have to live hard down the road. It, you have to pay the piper. It will happen. It's, it's just a fact of life. I'll give you another example. My son, I wake up. I wake up at 4.30 every morning, not because I have to or I want to, but because I know I should. It's For me, it's a magic hours between five and six when I sort of renew my physical and mental and sort of spiritual being with exercise. It's just something I have to do. And I, 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 I love it. So my son doesn't like to wake up early. I said, you can go through fast food drive-ins on your way to work. You don't have to wake up early. That's easy to do. But over time, if that is your behavior and if that's how you live your life, I promise health issues will start to set in that will create a hard that'll be very painful and next to impossible to reverse. You start making these easy decisions in life and hard will follow. Conversely, if you make the hard decisions, easy follows. It's hard to go to school, but I promise you, statistics will tell you, it's not true all the time, but statistics will tell you, the more education you have, the more money you'll make over your lifetime. And not that money is the source of happiness, but you have to have a certain amount of money to sustain a living and create options. When you have time or money, you can create options and you have agency that you can do other things with. Anyway, so that's my philosophy. That's the book, it's called The uh, Hard Easy. And I, I love the fact that you referenced my, my personal favorite chapter is chapter 10, Excuses. And uh, I, I can tell you, I had a football coach in high school once who taught me a very valuable lesson. And I made a dreadful mistake that almost cost us the game and almost cost us a championship. And he called timeout. And instead of the quarterback going, going over to the sidelines, I went, he called me over to the sidelines. And he said, Coombs, what happened? And I started to make an excuse and he grabbed my face mask and he sort of shook it. And if, <laughs> if you've ever played football, you know exactly that sensation because you have no, you're totally at the mercy at this person. <laughs> he shook my face mask and he sucked me in and he said, Coombs, excuses do not change results. We've practiced this play hundreds of times. Everyone did their job except for you. And we lost yardage instead of gained yardage because of your mistake. Now, I don't know why, but Coach Lee, his name's Coach Herb Lee, he called the exact same play again, which I believe he was allowing me to right a wrong. He knew I needed that. He could have called a different play, but he called the exact same play. And he said to me, Coombs, we're going to call this 28 tackle trap quarterback keep. And this time, I don't know if we'll score, but this time I know you will hit your man. And man, I tell you what, if, if there was any focused kid on junior high football, <laughs> it was me that that play. But anyway, we ended up scoring and but he taught me a valuable, valuable lesson. Excuses don't change results. And in chapter 10, I talk about 
Well, I think I have 11 excuses in there that I hear all the time when I talk to people and I talk about changing lives and really creating the best version of life that you can create. I often have people come up to me and say, you know, Art, you know, I, I really love your presentation and I want to change, but I don't have the time or I want to change, but not right now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change a little later or I want to change, but you know what? This is the way I was born. I am who I am and I can't change that. That's, you know, mother nature, just this is what the creator gave me and I can't change it. Or I was raised this way or the excuses just go on and on and on. And I can tell you in, in the book, I go into great detail. I have dyslexia. I have fairly severe dyslexia. And I was, I didn't know if I would graduate from high school, but for the first, all through elementary school, junior high and high school, I lived in this world that I believed I wasn't good enough. Why? Because the scholastic in institution told me I wasn't good enough. It reinforced me all the time to me that I wasn't good enough. I couldn't read as fast as other kids. I, and if you can't read as fast as other kids, it doesn't matter in math or in any of those power tests you take, ACT, SAT, whatever it is you're taking, I promise you, you are at a massive, hand, you're massively handicapped. But for 25 years, I lived in a world where I absolved myself of achieving great things. And I just, I just was okay with mediocrity in every aspect of my life because of my dyslexia. Um, and then there came a moment where I was like, no, I am not, I'm not going to let this happen to me. And there was a sort of a life-changing event that sort of took place um, where I had a really good friend who sort of slapped me around emotionally. And he said, Art, you're focusing on your weaknesses, not your strengths. And you have tons of strengths. Focus on your strengths. Don't get, don't play the victim. That's not who you are. Focus on your strengths. So all of a sudden that, that moment changed my life and I went back to school at age 25, graduated top of my class, even with dyslexia. I never, I, you can't cure dyslexia. It is there. It is who I am. But now I'm not ashamed of it. It does have, it has no power or hold on me. I'm able to do things. Uh, in fact, in many ways, that weakness has become a strength because of the way I've approached it. And because of the way I've, I've done things. Um, so again, you can live hard easy or easy hard. It's your choice. And it's a natural phenomenon. It will play itself out. You just have to make the conscious decision. And you got to be okay with if I choose easy up front, I have to be okay with hard later. If you choose hard up front, your life will be, I promise, a a lot easier down the road. That's sort of the, the nutshell. There you go. Art, I, I love all that. There's, there's so much I, I want to chime in on. I think that you, you discuss instant gratification and that's one of the key tools to any level of mastery is you have to learn how to delay instant gratification. And if you want to see that, 
there's a experiment they do with children and they say, you can have one donut now, or you can have like two donuts in 30 minutes or something. And only yeah. one of those kids is able to delay the instant gratification. And they find out that the people who are able to delay instant gratification are much more successful in the long run. And that's yeah. part of the problem. And our world is set up to pacify, to distract and make it easy. And that's kind of the challenge. The other it's, thing that I, oh, go totally. ahead. No, I, I think you told me that, and the, the donut uh, example and study that you're quoting is actually dovetailing off the famous Stanford marshmallow study that they did back in the 1960s. But I, one of the studies I love about this topic that I talk about in the book is the study of our attention span as human beings. And back in 1985, 1980s, they were measuring the attention span and the average human had an attention span of 15 seconds. And what that meant is you could focus in on a subject for 15 seconds and every 15 seconds, a new idea pops into your head. And I know we've all felt this sensation, right? You're concentrating on something and all of a sudden you're like, oh, did I turn off the oven? Or did I, oh shoot, you know, did I leave the water on? Or, you know, something will distract you. You have to shove that thought out of your mind and stay focused on what you're, what you're thinking about. What is fascinating is they have done this study about every five years. In the year 2000, researchers noticed that our attention span has radically dropped. It's gone from 15 seconds to about eight seconds, seven, eight seconds. Now they're hypothesizing that it is, if you'll notice, for hundreds and hundreds of years, our attention span has been fairly normal. We could focus and have long, but all of a sudden this little device came out. And now all of a sudden our attention span is getting shorter and shorter and shorter and weaker. What's fascinating is they did the same study. I don't know how they do it, but our attention span as human beings is actually shorter than that of a goldfish now. Goldfish have longer attention spans than humans. Now, if you think about a subject, let's say I'm thinking about an essay I'm trying to write or a math problem I'm trying to solve or a, an issue at home or whatever it is you're trying to do, Every seven seconds, a new idea is going to enter your mind that you have to consciously say, no, I'm not going to think about that. I'm going to think about something else. It's fascinating. And I totally agree. We live in this world of instant gratification, of hyperstimulation, of, of, you know, I want problems solved now. I don't want to work for things. Um, I hate to, I, I don't want to be disrespectful for, to any other author, but there was a really popular movement about 10 years ago about mere intentions and focusing just your intention on something. And then if you thought about it long enough, the, the laws of the universe would bring whatever it is you intended into your life. I just you have to, intention's good. I, I, I totally agree. We move towards that that we think about. So intention is super good, but you have to act. You cannot just merely say, 
I want more health or I want a better job and, and just intend and then come to work every day, you're, the road to hell is paved on intentions. You can't live like that. You have to have an intention, make a goal, start making decisions. They can be micro decisions, but start making a plan. Control your own destiny and create your own happiness. It can be done. So, yeah, I, I absolutely agree. You know, my research has always been interested in what are the limits of human potential. And so I travel the world to see who could actually do those things. And for me, the real life superhumans, the most impressive ones that I've ever witnessed were the Shaolin monks that could break stone with two fingers. Now, if you know anything about traditional martial arts or some of the, the trickery and um, I call it black magic because they're deceiving you. They're saying it's power from the universe, uh, but it's actually a trick and they're misleading you. Um, they do that with ice. There's these different techniques you can do with bricks. You can have fake bricks. You can have fake wood. You can do all kinds of things. But these shallow monks can break stone, like for real, without messing it up. And if you go outside the academy, guess what? There are dent holes in the tree from their fingers. So right behind me, if you're watching, you'll see the yin yang symbol and that is hard and soft. So I would practice soft qigong where I would learn to focus my attention, focus my energy, become aware of my body, master my attention span, you know, really connect with, with my power and inner being and all of that kind of energy. And then guess what? They'd have me out of the tree and I'd be poking this tree with dent holes. It was equal. And, okay. you know, when I talked to him, he said, you know, this took years this took years of me training to get that ability. And so we are capable of absolutely extraordinary things. But what's happening is we're missing the work ethic. And it has to be both because also that soft side with that intention side, um, I don't know which one it is. I should probably know yin and yang. I usually miss them up. I forget. Um, but that is like your mindset. That's perseverance. That's meaning. That's your why. Why are you putting in this challenging work? You know, what is the, what is the meaning of this? And if it's just for you to attain something, you're probably going to be missing. But if it's about you developing as an individual, as a person, as a spiritual being um, that will offer service to other people eventually through your own mastery, you're going to go through all of that pain all of that struggle, all of that quote unquote hard. Uh, right. And so, uh, yeah, it, it correlates exactly to what you're saying. Do you, you no. look like you want to chime in on that? No, no, no. I, I think, I think you're exactly right. The example you just gave me is just a, a, a single example of what I believe is hard, easy, that focus, you know, to a lot of people it might be, you go, well, how do you do that? You know, it looks so effortless that you're, you know, denting a tree or whatever, but the hard, what you don't see is the hard that went in that gave you that mental and physical ability to accomplish what to others looks so simple. That I think is one of the major problems in our society today. We watch athletes only on the screen for just a few minutes and we go, oh my gosh, look at Steph Curry. I mean, he can drop those three points from wherever he is on the court and it just comes so effortlessly. He just throws them up and they just drop and drop. You don't see the hundreds and hundreds of hours that he goes in at five in the morning and take shot after shot, after shot, after shot, after shot. Hard happens when people aren't watching. Hard is not glamorous. People, you watch, when you're living hard in your life, other people are, are typically around you. Going back to my kids, 
at school, watch when you say, Hey, watch all your buddies. You're on, you know, you're doing some Fortnite or something on Xbox or whatever. Right. And I know half those kids in that group that you're playing with are also in your same math class at school. Why don't you say to them, Hey, after this game, let's do homework because I know you guys need to do it as well. Watch how quickly they scatter like mice. People don't want to be around hard, but they love to be around you when you're playing easy. If you go in, I can go anywhere. I can go downtown Salt Lake. I can go into a restaurant or a bar or whatever and say, drinks on the house, you know, hey, and I can flash around and make it look like I've got this easy, lush job, you know, life. And people will be like, ah, Art, you're so great. You're so great. But when it comes to doing hard things, nobody wants to be around you. One of the characteristics of hard is you do it often quietly by yourself and it takes a long time. Easy, you watch, other people are attracted to people that are living easy. So no, I, I, lo I love the example. I, uh, I was a wrestler in high school. I think it's, it taught me more about how to be successful in life just because it was so physically and emotionally, mentally uh, demanding, or at least it was for me. Um, but it taught me more about how to be successful than any classroom ever did. I wrestled in high school and college. Um, I got into a little bit of judo because there are some, you can use judo and wrestling, but, I, but that was the extent. But uh, I, it, it was a massive blessing to my life and it helped lay a foundation to understand even though back then I really didn't understand it, but I was living hard easy, certainly at the time. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because in my life, it's been martial arts that's taught me how to navigate everything. And Bruce Lee, who is one of my mentors, he said, uh, you know, martial arts has taught me every, how to do everything in life. And it's the same it. thing with wrestling. And your, your sport analogy was important as well because a lot of the coaches – out there, you know, when you have your family unit, you know, luckily some kids have great parents and not everybody has that. And so sport teaches you so much about yourself, about teamwork, about accountability, about integrity, about hard work. And we're, we're missing a lot of that in the culture. You know, we don't need to get yeah. into like the, you know, the attack on males and all that kind of stuff, which is existing, right? It, we're, we're having right. this very softening of the culture. Um, when you look back at like the 300 days or whatever, like maybe a middle ground between that because that's that was nuts. Um, but we need to, we need to understand these principles because they're so important. And, you know, when you're talking about the hard doing it alone, it's true because in this, in this world, we, we have so many options to take the easy way to have it given to us, but we're not developing the skill and that's where the reward is. And I was thinking about uh, this 30 rock joke. <laughs> I was watching that the other day with my, my girlfriend and partner. And uh, she, she, uh, the joke was like uh, Liz Lemon's doing something, talking about her relationship. She's like, it's, it's easy. And uh, you know, it makes me feel numb and whatever. She's like, you're describing freezing to death. You know what I mean? <laughs> and that's kind of what's happening. You numb out, right? If you look at a kid versus a TV, they're hypnotized. They're checking out. They're not, in, they're not engaging. And we need to consciously make that choice. And with endless distractions, it can be very, very challenging. And yeah. often the journey is alone. It's the hard hours in the gym. It's the, it's the waking up and doing it by yourself. If you're fortunate enough to get a friend 
to do it with, it makes the journey incredibly powerful. A lot of people who've been successful were lucky enough to have a friend or have a mentor or have a team of people push themselves. And if you know about the Navy SEALs or you know about people who do these things in groups, they're able to endure that. Uh, Not everybody, because most people fail, but the people who can, they do it together and they depend on each other. And it's like, wow. Yeah. And when you, when you set that example, like there's no, there's no free passes. There are zero free passes for everybody. If you want to get in shape and you're completely out of shape, you need to take responsibility for your diet, for your health, for your well-being, for your exercise and all these different things. And so uh, very important points. what What I love about the martial arts and about wrestling, especially those sports, you have an element of camaraderie. You have members around you that are feeling the same pain the same stress, the same emotion that you are, yet when you go out on the mat or in wrestling, when you go on the mat, it's just you. I could never ever, unlike in football, and I love football and I played a lot of baseball, but in wrestling, I could never blame it on the ref, never. I could never blame it on my equipment. I just had a little wrestling singlet, that was it, you know? It, it, it's so you can't hide from anything. When you lost, when somebody beat me, I literally had to say, Hey, he was better than me this day. That was it. It was as simple as that, but it was so fulfilling when I would win because I knew I won. There was no trickery. There was no, you know, it wasn't because my quarterback threw an amazing pass and, you know, even though I, I did sort of a half-ass block and I didn't do what I was supposed to, it just so happened that we still scored. It was, it was you won because it was all on you. It was, it was really focused. And I think that's actually, to be honest, Matt, why I think about it, probably why I gravitate to entrepreneurial type efforts. It's not because I want to be the guy, the CEO or whatever, but I just feel more comfortable relying on me and I know my character and I've worked in big, big companies where at a whim, some director who was in New York, some board of director guy decides that my division is no longer needed. And it really doesn't matter if I put in 80 hours a week and I bust my tail and do the best job I can, but someone can just go and just sweep it away and, and all of a sudden it's gone. So I, I love the entrepreneurial act where it's, you know what, I look myself in the mirror and I go, Art, who do you trust? Who's, who's going to make this happen? And I hope it doesn't come across as arrogance, but for me, it's confidence. It's, uh, it's a, just an inner peace that goes, you, you can do this. You, know, you can make this happen. Just go out. It's going to be hard. Just go out. You can make this happen. Well, I, I really like that because what it does is it takes ownership for your wins and your failures. And it also, right from, from losing in sports and, and all these other circumstances, which a lot of people haven't had that experience, you take the ownership and responsibility and then you come back and you learn from it. You're not defeated forever. You get another opportunity. You get to problem solve that. And that's a huge downfall for people is is giving their responsibility to somebody else making those excuses and you'll see that in big companies as well where you know somebody will make the excuse or the manager will make the excuse or whatever but you see the great coaches and the great leaders they'll take you know take responsibility for every single thing 
And then that from that place, you can correct it. And it's kind of like this um, victim mentality, right? We have to go from a victim mentality to a creator. It's like, oh, you know, I lost my business. Like one of my most successful friends who, uh, you know, he incredibly successful in business. And he just says, you know, I wasn't always successful. Um, I just focus on value for other people. And if I lost everything, I I know I can build it up again. And the last thing I wanted to kind of touch on and and kind of ask you about is, I think we're in a a day and age where it's so important that we live our vocation and life purpose and do something that we're made to do. I feel like going around and just getting a paycheck that doesn't contribute to the world. So you might work in... um, uh, I don't know, an industry that causes harm in some way or, or, or just doesn't really contribute to society, not to judge the job, but just to reflect that that's your participation, mm-hmm. right? So when we connect to who we are, we start taking our responsibility, we start to know ourselves, we begin to increase our capacities. And as we increase our capacities and mastery, uh, then we're going to be putting something out into the environment. We're going to be creating jobs. We're going to be showing people what's possible. And it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It's going to be hard. Um, it's probably right. going to be ugly. There's going to be some failures, but our right. learning is going to come from that. And I think to me, that's that's kind of like a spiritual path and really important because you know when we look at all the events of the world today, and I'd love you to touch on that because um, it is a very fascinating time. You know what I mean? It's a very challenging time. And I feel like that's one of the things that we can do is really participate in solutions. And that might mean letting go of something or taking responsibility for something. Um, But when we do it, it's worth it. I call it like, uh, you know, ruthless uh, spiritual integrity, right? Is this, that's kind of like selling your soul. Like my example was in the car industry. I'll just share this. There, there, there are good car salesmen and there's some that are not as good. And one of the places, you know, they wanted to try to make as much money as they could. And the other places they were, they did business with a different philosophy. And so um, that intention, you know, I, I, I was like, this has to be square, you know, and, and I, I don't want to get a bit more. I don't want to charge a bit more so I can receive. I want to make sure that they get the thing that they need for their family, you know, and then it would go into banking and that whole evil empire. I'm not even get into that. Right. But uh you know, right. Cause the loans that they would, the banks would want to send out would just be atrocious. Um, but, but it, it went against my integrity. So I said, Hey, you know what? I can do it this way, but then I'm going to move toward this idea of building, of growing of something that's more aligned with me. And that meant a lot of years of not getting the paycheck of some of my friends, but still yeah. not the paycheck of a lot of my friends. Uh, but yeah. the integrity of, of listening to that is still there. And I feel like that's more, more important. And it's going to pay off in the long run. Totally agree. I, I remember, here's a little nugget that my father told me. I'm sure he heard it from someone else, but I heard it from my dad. So I'm going to attribute it to my father. And he would always say, there are three levels of motivation. There's, I have to. And he said, Art, watch. When you say I have to, what does that really mean? What, it, what you're really saying to yourself and to the rest of the world is, I'm a slave. I have to do this. I have no other choice. Now, that's the lowest and the most base form of motivation. I have to. A higher level of motivation is I ought to. Now you're doing it. You're still doing it begrudgingly, but you're doing it of your own free will. You're not a slave, but it's not totally engaged. The highest level of motivation is I want to. 
I want to do this. This is me. I'm choosing this. I totally own this. I take full responsibility. I own it 100%. And he said, Art, when you go to make a living, listen to that inner voice. When you wake up in the morning, do you have to go to work? Do you ought to go to work? Or do you want to go to work? And the moment you start thinking, I have to go to work, or even you start slipping into I ought to, you have to do one of two things. You have to create your work environment, change it so it becomes an I want to again. Sometimes you won't have that power. If you can't change your current work environment to be an I want to, to where you have passion for what you're doing and you're loving doing what you're doing, then you have to go and find something else where you truly love waking up every morning and going into work. So I, I love your concept about passion and doing things that you're passionate about. And I, you know, I talk to people all the time and I tell them when, you, when that alarm goes off or however it is you wake up, the rooster or the sunlight, or I don't, I don't know your bio, or, I don't care. But when you get up out of bed, are you getting up out of bed because you want to get up out of bed? Are you really, do you have that thirst and that love for life? And the other story that sort of reminded me of some of the things you were talking about is, you know, I, I don't know if you remember a guy by the name of Aaron Ralston, but here in, you remember the story, right? He, there was a movie made out of it, but he was hiking, a Colorado hiker in Southern Utah, and he was solo hiking in a slot canyon and he got his wrist pinned underneath the boulder. And that story was very popular around 2003 but it was very popular. He was on many talk shows and stuff like that. But I'll never forget what he said on the Ellen DeGeneres show. And Ellen asked him, he said, wasn't it scary? Once you made that conscious decision to cut off your arm, weren't you terrified? And he looked at her, didn't even hesitate. He looked at her and said, scary, not at all. He said, once I realized that my hand was dead, I wasn't dead. My hand is dead. He said, all of a sudden it was liberating. Cutting off the dead part was liberating. I could survive. I don't have to die here with my hand. I can live on. And he made a conscious decision to live. And I thought about that and I thought how many people in life cling on to a job or a relationship or something that they're clinging on to. Because Aaron said, I didn't want to leave my dead hand. My hand was part of me. But he all of a sudden realized if I keep this dead thing with me, if I love this dead thing, I too will die. Sometimes I think we as humans have to recognize that and cut off you know, what we think is important and realize that part of me is dead now. I need to go on and I need to excel and I need to live and I need, I can't be entrapped by my own thinking. So I, I absolutely love, uh, you know, some of the concepts and I, and I totally agree with you. Do things in life and it, it's a sad reality. Most psychologists will tell you that 80% of the world's population work in jobs that they are not completely satisfied in. They're not fulfilled. 
they wake up and they go to work because they have to or they ought to. We have to break that cycle. We have to break that cycle. Wow. Well, I, I think that that's a, an incredibly powerful analogy. And if you haven't seen the Aaron Ralston story where he gets trapped and he has to cut off his own arm with a little dull knife, it's pretty extraordinary. Um, and, and I think, I think that's such a powerful example. I want to throw a, a, I think it's like a challenging question because it's, it's one of the things that I think about it and, um, I think it'll be good to throw at you cause you're a real deal for kind it. of guy. So, for you know, with the podcast, um, I've been shadow banned, deleted, uh, all those different things, right? But what's interesting is they're only doing that to me in Canada, US, and Europe, and all the major countries. I've become number one in Georgia, Lebanon. Uh, where else? I should, you know, I want to shout. I was thinking, I was like, I got to shout out these countries because, like, what is going on? Cambodia, Algeria, Argentina, Cyprus, Merit. Meritus, Meritus, sorry guys for not pronouncing that right, Panama. Um, uh -huh. So shout out to all those countries. And I'm like, what is going on there? That's fascinating. And I'm, I always get curious because I recognize from traveling to about 30 countries, and I think you've probably traveled a bit, I'm just guessing. Um, I've traveled a lot. Yeah, uh, we're privileged. I'm privileged to be in Canada. You're privileged to be in the US. They don't call it a free place for, for no reason. I've been to Nepal in these, in these poor countries. And there's kind of a lot of different things with the story. Number one, in in U.S. and Canada, our, our rights and freedoms are starting to get diminished. Some people are happy about that. Some people are not so happy about that. But the opportunity is is dwindling because things are shutting down and things are are uh, oppressing. Now, in a poorer country like in you know Brazil uh, or or all these other places that less opportunity. How do we share this philosophy with those people that might have less opportunity? Because for sure, you, like they say, come to uh, America. It's a place that you can create your dreams. You bet your butt. You work your butt off. You have a dream. That's the beautiful opportunity there. But that's real hard in some other countries. And so, um, you know, how do you think that our philosophy and I did, do you think it would work there the same way or how might we modify that? I know, obviously, you can improve the life. And I'll just kind of end this by one story. And then I'll get, I'll get yours because um, uh, the one that I heard, I think a friend was telling me the story of someone they knew in Canada was a refugee. And he said that his father really believed in God the whole time. Right. And they were in this war torn country. And he would always tell his kids that, you know, the Lord protects us. God protects us. Creator protects us and uh, would be giving stuff to his village. They would be robbed all the time. This is a story my friend is telling me firsthand. I forget because mm -hmm. he, because he knows this guy apparently because <laughs> I asked a similar question. And so he's telling me, he's like, he's getting robbed out there. He's like, it's mayhem. People are dying. Like this is a hardcore place. And he just keeps this faith the whole time. And um, it gets so bad, they need to leave. So they're going and they have to get through this border and nothing, nobody's getting through. And apparently he says the story, the guy just gets right through, you know what I mean? He ends up being a refugee, gets to Canada. It's like this miraculous miracle story of having faith. Basically he's having faith in something bigger. And now he's in Canada, has an opportunity to grow, has an opportunity to create. So I do believe in this, um, this spiritual force, but I also like you, I'm, I'm, I'm like real world thing. When I went to Nepal and I'm looking at, you know, some things I was like, the opportunities are a bit different. How can we empower them? Like, does it, you know, like when you talked about the, the law of attraction, which I assume you're going on, right. I looked at all that stuff and I really liked it, but it also had missing elements for me. Some of that's worked, but you know, you can't just think it, although elements of that are, are true to a degree, but we need to add in the, the, uh, 
the thing. And so that's kind of what I think about some of this stuff is like, how do we ground that out for people who might have less opportunity? You know, it's, it's fascinating. I, 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 I too have been privileged and I've traveled all over the place. I, I used to work in India. So I, I used to commute from Utah to India, which is exactly 12 time zones away. And uh, I remember everybody goes, oh my gosh, that must just be the worst because I literally had the longest commute on the planet. No one could commute longer than me. If, <laughs> if that, then they're flying the wrong way. <laughs> but, um, but once a month I would fly to India and I'd work for one week and then I'd come back here and I'd work for three, three weeks. But I've spent a lot of time in the Philippines. I've spent a lot of time in Central and South America, uh, Vietnam, you know, a lot of places, uh, Southeast Asia. And it's hard. It's, it's sometimes hard because you see people that are completely destitute. They don't, they don't have the same gifts that we have. Even, even people here in the United States or in Canada that have, that would be considered lower on the economic totem pole have so much more than what some of these people have. Um, I'm always brought back to, and I'm sure you're familiar with it, but I'm almost always brought back to Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. And here is Viktor Frankl, who his family's completely ripped apart, his life, his culture, his community completely ripped apart, and he's in a concentration camp. And the most horrible things that you could possibly wish on another human being is happening all around him. And I love his comment when he says, you know, man's last freedom and the greatest freedom is your, your freedom to choose how you view what is happening around you. That is power. And he said he knew it when someone was going to die. It's the moment they lost faith. It's the moment that they gave up. But as long as he knew his captors could never control his mind and his thoughts and how he was in control of that, you can beat me all you want. You can starve me. You can do all sorts of stuff, but you can't control how I perceive this situation. That was his, what he came to be, understand was his greatest power. So even, and I, and, I, and I, again, I work with people all over the place and, and especially in the Philippines where there are people who have so little, but if you've ever traveled there, what's fascinating is they often are incredibly happy. I've been with people, hundreds and hundreds, thousands of people who are making a buck an hour, you know, eight bucks a day or something like that. And they live in very humble, humble homes and they have humble, you know, surroundings. And, and yet I've never seen a happier people and they choose. It's a conscious choice that they make. Now they still, you know, they still want the best and they still want to achieve and, uh, and accomplish but uh, there's a decision that they make. And in that decision, um, they control their own perspective. You know, we, we say it often, if you wanna change your life, change your perspective. Change your perspective and you're gonna change your way of thinking. 
and you're going to change when you change your way of thinking you're going to change your life it'll it'll be you know it'll be that uh you know that simple so well, I, I, I love that analogy. It reminds me of being in Nepal and uh, I was meditating with some monks there and I had a homestay with a man named Chan and his family. And uh, it was the smallest place. We, made, we ate the same meal three times a day called Dalbat, which is like a little bit of vegetables and like kind of like a miso soup type of deal. And uh, it was fine for a bit, but three meals a day every day was a bit much. Um, but he was happy. He was humble. Uh, the people that I met, genuine smiles. Uh, people like that look like they're living on the street. Um, were were like it was true that the poorer countries that I went to, not everyone, and you know, obviously there's there's people being suppressed, and that's a whole nother bag of worms. But you know, it was interesting. Like, and I also remember being in Cambodia, and this was a little shop, and I got to talking to the owners and. I think I ordered like a crab that they had caught in the sea. Right. And I was looking there like a dummy. Cause I didn't know how to open it. And they kind of laugh at me and they open it up for me and I get to talking to them. And, and there was a, it was their whole family and there's many of them, but they were very happy. And they had, you know, basically, uh, basically nothing. nothing. And yeah. they were talking about coming here. And I said, you know, they're like, Oh, we wish we could live in Canada and this and that. And I said, you know, what's curious is like, I've been observing that your culture, this area, this town is much, much happier than the cities that I go to in Canada and in America. And I feel like, uh, I love your perspective on this, but I feel like part of that is from this illusionary living. You know, when we look at the screens and all of this uh, a fake way of being, we're not connected with the earth and what we're doing. It's, it's so much of what we're doing is artificial. And then we're also motivated by things that might not be our motivations, our true motivations. And we have to spend a lot of time just to make ends meet, to kind of get ahead, to get ahead, to get ahead, to have a nicer symbol. And so we're constantly trying to get more and they're just living in the moment, right? They're doing like right. the Zen thing is like, I just need the food. Right. We're good. And they're right. happy and they're present. And we're so disengaged. And the last thing I'll kind of share that came up today in a, in a coaching session that I was reminded of, I feel that's important. Um, because of the TikTok and the social media and what you were saying, they know what's going on there. So they're trying to keep your intention and uh, not in a malicious way. Although I do think big tech right now is overly malicious because of what's happening to me personally and many other people, you know, free speech is the number one thing on the planet for a reason. When you start to silence people's point of view, even if you agree, that's, that's tyranny. That's not, that's not freedom anytime. I totally people. agree. And so, totally you know, agree. so that's, that's happening. And, um, uh, there's this prophecy from my friend, David Lombear, he talked about, he said uh, they had a prophecy that the rainbow monster would steal the, the, the mind of your child. And when we turn on the television for my 15 month, even just watch the kids show, her brain is gone. And it worried me. The second I saw it, her brain is gone. She can't focus. It's full hypnosis and absolutely gone. And you don't know what the programming is. And when kids are on TikTok and all that, and, and I looked at through, there's another app I got and they started to do these screens. It's all brainwash, all yep. of them. It's like these dark entities. It's not positive. It's not positive Fast. uplifting stuff. It's dark. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, a couple of thoughts. One is I, in my book, Human Connection, I talk a great deal about technology and how I, 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 I truly believe that the technology that is supposed to bring us more together and create connection like social media is actually creating more disconnection 
I believe there are more people with thousands of likes that are desperately lonely, desperately lonely. And they're attaching that like to their own self-worth and their own self-esteem. And if you have more likes than I do, well, that means you must be better than me in some way. But I covet this fame, this social, weird social media fame that people are just so blinded by. And it, it, it bothers me as a, as a father and a, sort of a baby boomer. Yeah, it bothers me a great deal. I, I remember going to my, I'm old enough, I went to my 40th high school reunion and I took my wife by my old home that I grew up in. And I drove by the yard and I said, you see that fire hydrant? That was our base. And my wife smiles and she goes, you know what? If the kids were in the car, I don't think they'd know what you were talking about. I know instantly what you're talking about, but they would have no clue. They would have no clue. But I do agree. And I think we live in this, I think social media creates this tunnel because I want to surround myself with people. It's, it's a natural sort of thing we humans do. We like to surround ourselves with people that think and believe the way we believe. And social media now has algorithms that say, okay, well, if he watches, you know, super left or super right, or people that, you know, live in Alaska off the grid or people, you know, who live on Wall Street, whatever it is you're into, social media is now going to load you up on what they believe you are most interested in. And you then as an individual reinforce it by watching more and more and more. And you get this tunnel vision view of society and the world that we live in. And we're not really exposed to other people's opinions. Another nugget my dad said, the mark of a genius is the ability to truly entertain profoundly entertain the thoughts and opinions of another human being without necessarily accepting them. It's so powerful. We have to get back to a point to where, you know, we can go, hey, Matt, I get it. I totally hear you. I don't agree with you. But because I don't agree with your idea, I still have value and I see value in your humanity. You're still a beautiful person. And if we can come like that, not that we've disagreed during this conversation, because I don't think we have, but the reality is, is if we can approach people with humility and tolerance and forgiveness and openness, it doesn't mean we're weak. It means just the opposite. It means we're strong and we're open to other people's ideas. We're not scared. Bring your ideas because I, if I want to learn from you, I don't possess all truth. If everyone believed the way Art Coombs believed, this world would be so pathetic. I love diversity and I love that open conversation and the ability to bat things around and open things up. So I, I, I too, and I think that's one of the blessings of traveling that I'm sure you've been exposed to as well is it, you, your eyes are open to the way other people live their lives and your eyes are open to their perspective. And I loved living in Europe because I had no, I had no U.S. news. The only news I had was either from the Netherlands or from BBC or, you know, occasionally CNN back then. 
But I saw the U.S. from another perspective, not from a U.S. perspective. I always thought it was fascinating, too, because when I, I lived in the United States, you turn on the local news and you're, you'll hear about the, the guy who held up the local 7-Eleven. Typically, internationally, they would never cover that news. They talk about bigger issues like genocide going on in different parts of the world or, or big global type events. And so it was my experience that when I traveled in Europe or in Asia, I was getting more of a global perspective. It was from their perspective, but it was more of a global perspective. And I felt like every time I came to the US, we weren't, we would have some cursory thing, but it was all very local and internal. Like we were some sort of the center of the universe and it, it, um, yeah, it bothered me a great deal. Yeah, I agree with all that. And the one thing I wanted to add was with the social media and things, what they're doing, um, they're also then leading, which is the issue because people, um, they're not recognizing that there is an agenda behind the algorithms. So once they catch those thought processes and things that you like, there is another algorithm that begins to lead you. Now, in the past, that was just advertising, right? right. Pharmaceuticals is the number one advertiser, right? And if you look at the history of pharmaceuticals and all of that, you're going to be interested in what's going on with their modern medical system and what's happening there. And, the, and it's just money. And it might not have been malicious at first intent, but what happens when, you know, one, one group has got so much advertising money to steer, you know, people's minds, young people's minds. And so people need to understand that because we, we are looking at something and then we're being led in a certain way. Exactly. Whose agenda is leading us there. And totally then, agree. And then the other thing too, with um, the points of view and what we're seeing here, we're seeing uh, the erosion of freedom of speech and you need to have freedom of speech. Even, you know, that's the, there's a reason why it's the number one thing. And back in the day in the U S I'm Canadian. So I've learned a little bit about the U S but different ideas are great that, that we, should, we should celebrate them. You might not like them. You might vehemently disagree, but these policies that shape the, uh, the US and the law was, was often heated debate. We don't see any heated debate. We don't see any debate. So how do we know which side we're on if we don't see two experts go at it? It's like, okay, all we have right now is the, the great, we have Muhammad Ali versus nobody. You know what I mean? But, right. at the, but we, don't, we don't get to see his greatness. We don't get to see if there's a competitor out the other side. Just like in the UFC, is might be a more relevant example. You've got somebody that says Brazilian jiu-jitsu is the best. This guy says boxing is the best. All right, let's, let's see that competition. Let's, but let's now, that. through that beautiful competition, we have an evolution of the truth from different perspectives. There's respect on both sides. Then the jiu-jitsu guy can learn about boxing, and this is a different tool. But all we have now, essentially, is big corporations, um, you know, and, and people saying this is what the truth is, but there's no journalism, there's no um, real in-depth um, debate. And that's how we'll know when we see two masters of their side debating. Right. And one of the things for me, because I started to research coronavirus and all that stuff that going on, I didn't know much about anything. But I watched uh, Robert Kennedy Jr., who's been recently deplatformed from Instagram debate Alan Dershowitz on vaccines. When you watch that, 
you have two people and you, you get to form a view because they get to go back and forth because you don't know about the subject. And so one of them is say, you know, I can go look into that and that and that from Alan and I can look into that and that and that from Robert. And you'll just kind of feel which one resonates with more truth, which ones seem to stand in truth and integrity. It has a different frequency. And if we're not witnessing that, what we're witnessing is basically this is what you're going to get and this is what you're going to accept because it, it, it has to be a staple of our culture. It has to be the staple of a free society. Um, okay. And it makes us better. It makes us better individuals when we respect another point of view. Um, we don't have to agree, right? The Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy is never going to say boxing's better in a thousand right. years. If you go to Brazil, right. it is the best. There's no way, right? You go to a boxing gym, you know, out of a Muhammad Ali or Ali Frazier gym, they're never going to concede that Brazilian jiu-jitsu is the best. But through the UFC and through this, you know, that's again through sport, right? Through competition, we can have respect and then we both right. learn, right? Then like, oh, and that's, we have this modern martial arts. That's this beautiful evolution of information, of knowledge. And no one is uh, absolutely right. Absolutely true. Um, there is truth in both. And there's kind of, you know, uh, everything in between. So that's my rant and would love for you. No, to no, no, I, no, I, I love it. <clears throat> Ever since I was a young kid. And I, like I said, I wrestled in high school and college you'll never convince me a pure boxer could beat a pure wrestler in a street fight. Won't ever happen. I don't care because the boxer needs distance. He needs striking distance. The wrestler doesn't want distance. I want to get in as tight as I can with you and control you and take you to the ground and cause you to submit. And, and I can just tell you, so <laughs> I just, I, I just totally agree. But I, I agree that there are some situations where boxing or, or other forms of self-defense are going to come in handy. No, I, I totally agree. I, I think there's a big scare. It makes me very, very nervous when I see one group of people wanting to silence another group of people. It's, uh, I know I catch a lot of flack when I tell people that I understand, you know, if you go back to 9-11, I can understand and I can get in the heads of those young men who flew those planes into those towers. That doesn't mean I agree with them at all, but I can mentally, empathetically try to put myself in their shoes. Do I agree with them? Hell no. But I can see how they got there. I can see what path took them there. We have to get to a point in our society to where listening to other people's points of views, no matter how vile or demonic we think they are, and just stopping and saying, okay, yeah, I, can, I feel you, I hear you, I get it. I can understand why you think the way you think. I still totally disagree with it. But I think we need to disassociate your opinion on X and you as an individual. And I think that's where it starts to really break down for me is when I see people demonize just because someone might say, hey, I don't believe in abortion. That doesn't mean, or I believe in abortion. It doesn't mean that the individual saying it is an evil individual. 
you just disagree with their position on that particular subject. They see it differently than you do. And to me, it's, um, but I, I agree. I, I think it's really scary when you start silencing the talk of others. You know, and again, I, uh, I think you can get to at a point to where, and I know there's always gonna be someone who'll bring up, you know, the Holocaust and, you know, Nazism and all this kind of stuff. Um, but even then, if you think back to it, and if you look back to what our society got so out, out of whack, what were they trying to do? When you start silencing your opponents, that's when you really need to start being, your, your antenna should go sky high. If you start silencing, you look back at the most, you know, sort of evil, malevolent leaders we've seen in throughout history, all of them have this similarity of silencing through very, very uh, uh, you know, ruthless manners, silencing people that opposed them. Why? If your idea is so good, if your idea has merit, if your idea has core integrity, why, why do you need to silence it? Wouldn't your idea be strengthened by being exposed to other people's opinions? Because that, if you hold up to other people's opinions, you're just, you become stronger and stronger and stronger. So I, I completely agree with you on that point. Yeah. You know, when you're saying that last example, I just imagined a boat. It's like, I have an idea of how a boat is made. And you're like, so do I. And then you throw it in the water, right? And then one of them will float. You know what I mean? And and that uh, you know um, perspective and and you know skepticism from other people should be welcome because you'll make the boat better. You'll make the idea better. Um, you know, and and we have these challenging times because you know there's quotes about book burning, and we've we've seen uh, the internet change in a way that's never happened before. We've never seen thousands of accounts uh, taken away, like Robert Kennedy, like that family line and all his work. Uh, you may disagree, but if you listen and you go through, you can check the article. You can you can spend that time, but why would you silence like a person at that caliber? That's that's pretty intense, and there's thousands and thousands of other people uh, being fully silenced, and so that's something definitely to consider. Um, you know, with what's going on in these world events. So you know, I could I could talk to you all day. This has been fantastic, and I feel like uh, you know a lot of the issues out in the world today are, are challenging, right? But just because they're challenging uh, doesn't mean they shouldn't be addressed and they, they're going to yep. evolve over time. You know what I mean? Yep. And, and it's going to take uh, compassion and listening and, and understanding. But one of the quotes that I really have been using over and over again is anything that seeks to restrict or bind by definition is Luciferian. So you can have an idea. And if you want to know if you sit in truth and justice, you can have your idea, but do you have to bind other people to it? Are you taking away another person's free will by your belief? You can believe it and allow them to do their thing without harming you. The second right. they come into your zone and you've said no a whole bunch of times, that's when you get a wrestling takedown or, you know, <laughs> pop right in the head. Like, I've told you no, piss right off. Right? right. But that's the whole thing. You could have an idea. It's like, I disagree with you to the core of my being and right. you can go about your business. I'm just going to stay away from you. You know what right, I mean? Right. That's it. And that's the definite, that's the difference of, of some people out there are like, no, you must do this. I would right. like to take your choice away because of what right. I believe. And that's where we get into yeah. some scary things and the better, totally agree. 
the better communications we have on both sides so everybody can see the truth always has a different resonance. It is so different. You know what I mean? The truth always has this resonance. And if somebody's in distortion and manipulation, that's okay. But right. other people who are ready to hear that are going to hear it because it actually is indeed true. And to your wrestling analogy, uh, when they had the UFCs, guess what? The first bunch of winners, uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, which is not exactly wrestling, but then wrestling. And then once right. the wrestlers understood Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, <laughs> then all of a sudden they were the champions because it was the best thing. But now what's happening is through this wonderful evolution is it's the wrestlers got that base and now the strikers are becoming the challenges. Right. So now it's between the strikers and the wrestlers, but all the strikers had to learn the wrestling wrestle. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu because yeah. the wrestlers would just take them down for years and years and years. And we're like, yeah. we got to stop these guys. They keep, <laughs> yeah. we, keep, we keep trying to punch them in the face and they keep taking us down. This is frustrating. Yeah. You know, and the, rest, and so, the wrestlers have to learn to strike when, when they need to strike, they need to learn how to strike or defend themselves or a hundred percent. Yeah. And so yeah. you have this evolution. And so there's nothing, you know, information is not permanent. And I love the idea of the formula for truth, which is basically saying you only know your side when you only have your one perspective, they have their one perspective rather than telling them what, you know, you listen completely and you might disagree with all of it but learn this little tiny nugget and have a little bit more understanding of something you didn't right. know and if you did that for every single person you met how much more information would you have and that just continues to evolve over time just like the martial arts yeah. just like an idea and yeah. as a culture we yeah. expand towards truth and integrity and the good virtues of of how we want to live and yeah. how we want to operate as a society you, you know you just reminded me I'll, I'll, I'll end it with this you reminded me of a story i tell in hard easy and it's a story of uh, Mount Timpanogos. So I ride horses and I was up on the top of Mount Timpanogos, not on my horse, but I was up there. I hiked up there, it's just about 12,000 feet. And if on a good day, clear day with binoculars, there's a major freeway I'm looking at it right now called I-15, five lanes each way. And it goes from Salt Lake down to Las Vegas. But you can see 20 miles north and 20 miles south. So I'm up on top of, Mount Timpanogos, and I know that my son has to go to an interview. And so I'm, I know exactly when he's doing it and what's going on. I'm looking in the binoculars and I see my son get on the freeway way down south. But what I also can see from my perspective is 15 miles up in front of him, there's a major accident. And, I'm, and so I call him on my cell phone, I say, hey, where are you at? And he goes, yeah, I just got on I-15. I'm heading up to my interview. And I said, ah, I'd suggest you get off the freeway as quick as you can and take this side route. And he goes, why? That'll take me longer. And I said, no, what you can't see that I can see from my perspective is a major accident. Son, you got to get off the freeway or you're, you, you don't know this now, but you will be late if you get stuck in that traffic. And I think I think wisdom, you know, when you take knowledge and experience and you bring them together and you create wisdom, I fear the younger people in our society, in our world, they need to stop, take a breath and go, you know what? There are probably people that are more experienced that have a bit more perspective and I need to take count and listen to that perspective. I always talk to my kids, again, Mount Timpanogos. I say, if you look at Mount Timpanogos from this side, from the west side, it looks almost impossible to climb. But if you looked at it from the east, 
it looks totally different. And there are many ways that you can get up to the top and conquer that mountain. And all too often, I think we get locked in on our problems to where we can only see them from the West, metaphorically speaking. I can only see this problem from the West. But if someone were to just take your hand and say, hey, come over here, look at this problem, the same problem you've been vexing over for years that you don't think you can climb. Just come over here and look at this. Oh my gosh, my problem looks conquerable. My problem looks, I can climb this. So anyway, Matt, it has been a pleasure talking to you. It really has. I have absolutely loved it. So thank you so much for having me. Oh, my pleasure. I, I love that last analogy and it, and it makes sense for uh, a lot of the coaching I've been doing around just life purpose and things like that, because it, what I've been saying is like, knowing your life path and purpose, that's not hard because it's a direction that unfolds. It's not an end zone. It's like, you don't complete it and it's done. You know, this, you're older and have accomplished a lot. Um, it's like, here's the mountain now, good luck. And you, and the, you know what I mean? Step one, step two, ridge one, ridge two, you know what I mean? And it always unfolds and it grows. And with each perspective, then you're like, oh, now I can see further. I see more options. I see, but you're climbing the mountain of your own creation. And that's living life, you know, the difference with living life by default with a fake security, right? Oh, right. I'm going to get this job and this is super certain. And this is why I'm doing it. I'm doing it because, because I ought to, because I have to, right? Or I'm going to build this thing. I have no idea how it's going to work out, but that's when you go into faith and, um, you know, your own integrity, Passion. right? And yep. so it's a bit squirrely and you, everybody's got to figure it out on their own. There's no guarantees either way, but at least when you're doing it on your own, um, it's by your own decision. That's a really yeah. beautiful thing. So I appreciate this. I, I love your perspective on a lot of things. I invite people to check out your work and to check out your book. Uh, you know, one of the no nonsense guides, which is, which is, which is true. Cause there's a lot of stuff that might be a little bit of nonsense, right? I've always looked, I'll tell you, I've been looking for the easy way my whole life. It does not exist. And that's what the Shaolin monks taught me is like, Oh, so the easy way is it exists, but, it, but it'll, it'll lead you to hard. I promise you there's a yeah. lot of easy paths. Right. I could do a lot, of, a lot of things to, to, I could get easy money a lot of different ways, but it often leads more often than not, I'll have to live hard later. I, so. I agree with that. That's karma. You know, it's, yep. you know, it's the same idea. Well, where do people find you and your work and get the book and all that I'm stuff? On, I'm on Instagram under Arthur F. Coombs, all one Arthur F. Coombs. Uh, I also have a website called artcoombs.com. And you can find my books on Amazon. Just uh, go on and search for Arthur F. Coombs III or Art Coombs, and uh, you'll see my, see my work. So Amazing. Well, this has been a pleasure. I appreciate you and your work. I uh, wish you all the best, and uh, thanks, everybody, for watching. Thanks so much. My Bye -bye. pleasure. See you guys.